Luke 14, verses 1 to 24. Thanks, Bob. Sorry. Jesus at the Pharisee's house. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, or, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, although they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes. Make them come in, so that my house will be full. 
I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. We give thanks for his reading. All right, well, let's pray and then think about this passage. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for this time now that we have to consider this word. We pray that you'd help us to find this time meaningful and benefit from uh, meeting our Lord Jesus and entering into an episode where he taught uh, all kinds of people about the right way to live. We pray that you'd help us to have a submissive spirit to you and to humble ourselves and tremble at your word. We thank you for this time now and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever noticed the drama that can go with being hospitable? Uh, weddings, for example, can be tricky times. First of all, you've got to work out that short list of who to invite and who to actually get on board to that wedding. Then there's who is included in the bridal party, or more spectacularly, it can be who's left out of the bridal party. Sometimes you see those bridal parties, don't you? They've got loads of people in the bridal party left thinking who's left in the congregation. And then there's the delicate question of who to seat with whom at the reception party. People sitting there figuring out these lists of who they're going to put with who and when you get a guy like me who talks a lot and how to fill a vacuum somewhere at a table. On one occasion I went to a wedding where the uh, mother of the bride and the father of the bride had separated unfortunately. Uh, But the mother of the bride had the upper hand over the seating arrangements for the reception. And so... Well, let me just say, she didn't exactly put the father of the bride out the door of the reception hall, but he was pretty close to it. And uh, that was uh, an ouch kind of moment. But I'll come back to that one, so I'll let you stay hanging there with uh, what happened in the end with that one a bit later. But it's not just weddings, is it, that can become complex when we think about entertaining and hospitality. Even organising a barbecue can sometimes be fraught with a bit of trickiness about who didn't get invited. And then, of course, if you go out with a friend, even for a a coffee, there's the bill at the end. Have you had those wrestling matches with who says, you know, I'll I'll pay for the coffee? And the other person says, no, no, I'll pay for it. I had that happen to me even just the other day, and I found myself standing there saying, but but you paid last time. Uh, And then I read the passage today and thought, oh, I wonder if that was the right thing to say. (laughs) Well, as we meet Jesus today, we're taken back to a hospitality kind of setting. Uh, and we take a peek into an episode in Jesus' life as he's journeying uh, to Jerusalem. That's where he's on his way to. He's actually begun on the um, Sabbath. I think there's going to be some feedback soon, Jacob. I hope not too loud. And he's probably spent the morning a bit like we're here at church today. He was at the synagogue, likely to be on that Sabbath day. And then he comes to the home of a ruler of the Pharisees, and he's enjoying a mealtime. The structure of this passage is actually outlined a little bit simply for us because Jesus addresses the Pharisees first, then he addresses the guests, and then he addresses the host, but we're all sort of eavesdropping on in this conversation. And in the first place, the first point in my outline you'll notice is Jesus addresses the Pharisees, and he really starts to challenge them to obey the spirit of the law and not the letter of it. The Pharisees were concerned with upholding their traditional interpretations of the law. But 
they sometimes failed to actually want to obey the spirit of it. So we'll pick it up in chapter 14, verse 1 through to 6. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling in his body. It might have been dropsy is the condition in other translations. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Twice we notice that they've got nothing to say when Jesus challenges them. They remain silent on the second time. And so here we're seeing Jesus give the lesson uh, in humility to the Pharisees. He's been invited to this Pharisee's house. And it's hard to know what the man who's suffering from swelling is doing there. He's, uh, he's sick. He's got a condition where the Pharisees were pretty keen to keep themselves separate from people who were sick so they didn't get ritually impure. But Jesus has been known to be having unusual companions with him, so he might be there with Jesus that day. In any case, Jesus asked them about the lawfulness of healing on the Sabbath or not. They'd built up a series of traditions to say what you could and couldn't do on a Sabbath so that they guarded themselves from breaking it. Even things like, you know, you could drop a, a parcel out a window to somebody as long as you didn't sort of walk out the front door with it and carry it somewhere. That would have been work, but you could just drop it out the window and that's that's not work. This kind of, uh, you know, what's lawful on the Sabbath was a bit of a, a good discussion to get into with these guys. They had a fair bit to say about it. So Jesus asked them if it's lawful, you know, is it work or not? And they, they're not going to answer him. The question is, why won't they answer Jesus? Why won't they even give him an answer to say, oh, yeah, that fits in the traditions or not? Well, I'm wondering whether they even want to catch him out. They seem to be watching him closely. It's interesting because while they're busy watching him closely, as the passage progresses, we start to see a bit later on, he's actually watching them closely too. So they're both looking at each other, really. Well, it seems that they also don't say much because Jesus has really hit on the fact that they should be concerned about someone. The Lord said, love your neighbour, and they're more concerned about their traditions, their regulations. And it's blinded them to this sign that the Sabbath represents, that good age to come when there is healing and sins, a thing of the past. It's a, it's a foretaste of the world to come, and they've really just got hung up on obeying some of the letters of their tradition as opposed to the spirit of God's law. So he asked them another question. Would they pull their own child out of a well? Well, to use modern Australian, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Of course they'd pull their kid out of a well if they were stuck in a well on the Sabbath. Uh, and so Jesus, in a sense, he's, he's humbling them by this line of questioning. You can see that it's ridiculous to think that they wouldn't leave their child in a well. It would be a pretty tough family to grow up in, wouldn't it, where you Mum and Dad left you in a well because it was the Sabbath and it was work and they couldn't get you out. But in a sense, this is a, a refreshing challenge to these people. He's, he's really, he's kind of giving them a warning and saying, look, you're really, you're not seeing the wood for the trees. You've got to get off that. And here's a bit of tough love for him to challenge them to say, look, you need to be authentic with God. You can't, you've got to start being a real member of God's kingdom. It's not about regulations, it's about truly loving God and living his way. 
But what can we take away from this lesson ourselves? When are we tempted to maybe obey the letter of God's word, but not the spirit of how God calls us to live? Well, suppose there are times when we can get caught up in the trap of maybe trying to do things because we're Christians and we just find ourselves in that world, but that's not how God calls us to be. For example, when we read our Bible, sometimes Christians, where we have our quiet time, we want to get through our number of chapters, but our heart might not really be in it. And so we can do things just to, just to get it done, but we're not really fair income with God. Well, in what other areas you're tempted to look outwardly as a Christian, to sort of be seen to be a Christian, but secretly inside there's times when you know you're flirting with sin. Have you ever had that experience where you want to be seen to be keeping in order, but in your own heart you do want to flirt with sin? Well, this morning the challenge from God's word to us is to humble ourselves before God, to repent of that kind of wickedness, and to think about those areas of our lives that we're failing in and to start to shape up. That's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to be like those Pharisees. He wants us to be authentic with him. Well, the second point in the outline notes that Jesus addresses the guests and he really starts to call upon them to be humble as well. In this section, uh, Jesus is engaging with the ancient Greco-Roman world where there's a world of hierarchy and like in some circumstances where people are in the army, people are described as sometimes in relating well to the different ranks and sometimes they really wear their rank. They want people to know that they're way up the line. But Jesus wants to start to undermine that, that system of hierarchy and rank within the community of God's people. And he also wants to get rid of this payback system. There's a sort of a, a, a kickback way of operating. I don't know whether you've... Um, ever been overseas and seen that kickbacks can really uh, infect a society. When I went to Indonesia, they had a building code that was pretty intriguing, which is my way of saying things that were built over a year ago were made to look like they were built seven years ago. Uh, things look pretty shoddy. And I said, well, how come they haven't got a building code over here? And somebody explained to me, well, they, they might, but they can't enforce it because the person who wants to get their building built a certain way just pays off the officials and uh, he gets his kickback and if there's any questions he pays off someone else up the line. There's a, there's a sort of a payback system which seems to infect a society uh, and Jesus is starting to look at the way that people might pay each other back a bit in God's community and he challenges it. So let's pick it up in chapter 14 verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, 
your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now there's sort of a couple of levels of meaning that we can take away from this couple of parables that Jesus is talking about. On the first hand, we could talk about this as just good advice on how to behave socially. Tips from the pros on how not to get in trouble in social settings. So if you go to hop on an aircraft, don't just race for you know first class and park yourself in first class and have the hostess come up and say, I'm sorry, Mr Charles, but you're going to have to go back down to economy class or worse still, luggage class or pet class or something like that. You know, don't put yourself forward. And back on that uh, little story I told you about the, um, the wedding where the, the mother of the bride had the upper hand over the seating arrangements and kind of shunted the father of the bride to some pretty shoddy little spot in the room. Uh, well, guess what? The mother of the groom wasn't real happy about it. And so she had to said, I'm not tolerating this, and she moved the, the father of the bride to a much better place. So in, in that setting, the mother of the bride had to eat humble pie of sorts. She got a comeuppance. But this is really a little bit more, isn't it, than just tips on how to behave in social settings so you don't, you don't kind of get uh, put in your place, so to speak. Jesus is looking at a world where people are busy wearing their rank and situations where they were keen on looking after themselves and carrying favour with those higher in rank meant that some people were getting left out, the poor, the the lame, the blind, the crippled, those people were sort of marginalised. And mealtimes became a type of technique where you could enhance your status. Uh, it was like a, a machinery, if you like, to, to promote yourself. And for example, when one sat near the host, kind of a bit like the kids' birthday parties, you, know, you don't want to, sit next to the, you want to sit next to the birthday boy or the birthday girl, then uh, there was a way of gaining some prestige out of that. A little bit like uh, I've heard Henry Kissinger say in the past that Russia wants to deal with America because uh, in that way Russia attaches a bit more prestige to itself because America's, you know, Johnny on the spot, number one in the world type thing. Uh, and they think that if the Russians can get in, well, they're, they're kind of in there as well. Uh, but this is the sort of thing that's happening in their society where people want to sit near the host because they want to promote themselves. They're into improving their own rank. Self-promotion's what's governing the motives at this point. And Jesus is encouraging them to get off that pathway, get off that life of self-promotion and follow a different kind of life where Jesus doesn't come to be served but to serve and he's calling kingdom people to live a different way. That's not the sort of world he wants us to be caught up in. But furthermore, gifts in that society uh, weren't simply free. They had strings attached. And that was often played out in the world of hospitality, where if you accepted someone's invitation to go to their party, you were obligated to have them come to your place for a party too. But the poor weren't ordinarily invited to a meal at the rich and the powerful, were they? Now, just to take a devil's advocate point for a time, just so you don't think I actually agree with this position, I'm flagging that now. Uh, why would you invite the poor? That would be a waste of an invitation, wouldn't it? When you could invite somebody else. If you invited the poor, well, you'd probably only get an invitation back to 
something that really didn't match your invitation. It wouldn't be maybe as nice a moment. What's more, you stood to lose prestige. If you invited the poor over, well, then your rank might start to you know, lose a bit of its tarnish. You might start looking uh, lower down the pecking order. So why would you go and do that? Why would you invite the poor or the crippled or the lame? Why would you put yourselves out? Well, you might want to put yourself out because it's the right thing to do. You might want to invite those kind of lowly people because Jesus calls us to follow him and he's the one who mixes with the lowly. Jesus was the one who went and saw Levi, who was a tax collector, and invited him to follow him. And then Levi threw a feast and they had a meal with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, Jesus hung hung with the... Uh, the people that were spurned and outcast, the margins of society, and he calls us to follow him in that as well. It's all very well, isn't it, to um, hang out only with Christians, to hang out with the frozen chosen, as they say. Uh, but certainly we see something different in Jesus. When he's at that party, he's even challenged, isn't he? The Pharisees say, what are you eating with these tax collectors and sinners for? And he gives a snappy comeback. Do you remember what it was? He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. But the sick, I've come not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And so we're called to follow Jesus in that as well. We should be thinking about who we can engage with that's outside of just a comfortable Christian community. Well, Jesus in uh, challenging them to invite all kinds of people, he's saying, look, you need to put on a different kind of glasses and see the world in a different way. Classes are amazing things. I remember when I was a uni student and I was looking at the whiteboard and blackboard and I think, gee, this lecturer can't afford a new whiteboard pen, you know. <laughs> They're printing really badly on the board and why can't they get some chalk that'll work properly? And then the girl next to me said, here, try these on. I went, oh, gee, that's a bit different. <laughs> the pen worked fine and so did the chalk. But I could see the world differently. I could see leaves on trees more sharply. Well, Jesus is saying, look, we've got to put on a different kind of set of spectacles and get off this kind of world where people are promoting themselves and to look at the world from God's point of view and see that all kinds of people are dignified in God's eyes. And so we see that there's a reversal in the values of the world compared to the values that Jesus promotes. And he picks that up in verse 11 where he says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And he goes on to say that even though these folk who are at the margins of society, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, those people who can't repay you, well, don't worry about it because you will have a reward. God knows your reward and it will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. But the question is, who's going to be part of that resurrection of the righteous? These Pharisees were probably thinking that they'd be part of that crew uh, and they were probably looking down on the rest of these people, thinking they may have even been under the judgment of God. But the resurrection of the righteous is really for those who follow Jesus as the Lord and Saviour and enter into God's kingdom. They'll be at the resurrection of the righteous. Now we notice in this passage that the host seems to get a bit of a roasting. Uh, he's challenged. But the challenge for us is really to see where this kind of language touches on our lives as well. And the challenge for us is to think about engaging with people who are maybe outside of our comfort zone, as some say. 
to have a good attitude to the lowly uh, and to think about caring for them. Well, then somebody starts to talk about how blessed the people who are who are at the feast in the kingdom of God. In verse 15, someone raises his voice and says, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus goes on to talk about who will be feasting in God's kingdom. And there's a couple of layers to this parable too, which are worth thinking about. Let's pick it up in verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now it seems that there's a couple of layers of meaning here that we could engage with. In the first instance, we know that Jesus comes and he's bringing in God's kingdom. He's bringing in that age of the feast, if you like, in the kingdom of God forever. And there are some people who reject him. The Pharisees and the leadership, the establishment, they don't take him as their Messiah. And they're like the people who give these uh, very lame excuses. You know, I just brought a field. I can't, I can't come to the party. Oh, well, that's a good excuse, isn't it? Uh, so <laughs> I think we're supposed to laugh at these excuses. They're just pathetic excuses. Uh, and so the establishment doesn't come after Jesus and treat him as Messiah, but there's all kinds of people that do. The tax collectors and the sinners, the people that wash Jesus' hair, there's, there's the rabble who do come in uh, and end up being the people who will enjoy life in the kingdom of God. But it's interesting because there's another level at which the, um, the people that Jesus is speaking to might be able to engage with the host and identify with the host of this party. The host of this party starts inviting uh, the people who are probably on the same level as him in society. But then after a while he sees that they are actually spurning him. They're kind of shaming him by not taking up his, his invitation. And in a sense the host really does what Jesus has been commending, hasn't he? he it, the host actually carries out what Jesus has been teaching. He's saying invite all kinds of people to be with you, not just because you'll get something back. And so the host says go out and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And I think Jesus is saying, look, this host has made a change and he's inviting all these kinds of people and guess what, you Pharisees and teachers, you should be making a change too. That's how God wants us to be in his kingdom. He doesn't want us just to be promoting ourselves. He wants us to be servant-hearted. And it seems that there's a, a bit of a theme there for us to take hold of too. We're, we've been people who... Ah, uh, the rabble. There's nothing good in us uh, 
that God should choose us to be part of his family. But God comes and saves us. He convicts us of our sin and he opens our eyes to put our trust in Jesus and we enjoy life with him as we do that. God gives us his Holy Spirit poured out from Jesus, the resurrected Lord Jesus. And we enjoy life as his people and we're guests who are in his kingdom because we've received mercy. But the next bit that's really going to be challenging for us is now that we are the uh, in there as guests, we should be thinking about, in a sense, being hosts as well. Who are we going to be a host to? Who are we going to reach out to and invite into God's kingdom? And so I think that's the, the place probably where it cuts us. Who are you going to think about being hospitable to? Is it going to be just the Christian brothers and sisters? Well, I don't think Jesus is saying in this, this, this teaching that you know, it's redundant to have a meal with your brother or sister or your Christian friends and this kind of thing. I think he's being using this uh, Jewish Semitic kind of hyperbole where he's saying, look, it's all very well to you know, have your own kind, if you like. What about we look out for the, the ones who are at the margins? And he's trying to say that's where we should be at a bit more. So as I think about who I'm going to be trying to be hospitable to, I think about the, the people at the soccer community or some of the, the neighbours that are in my street. There's the challenge. I don't know what your neighbours are like. Who will, you, who will you have over for a meal or try to have a coffee with? Is it, is it only going to be the Christians? Well, I think God's word's encouraging us to think about looking beyond uh, just, just the folk that we identify Christianly with and some people are pretty good at this, I know. They work hard actually trying to build bridges to folk who aren't Christians and, and trying to engage with them. And it can be tricky sometimes. I found myself engaging with a, a guy who didn't see life quite like I do and I was on a boat with him. We were stuck there with each other for some time. <laughs> but uh, that's the challenge, isn't it? For us to not just simply reach out to those who might look after us, but to keep on looking out for all kinds of people and certainly non-Christians as well as people at the margins of society. Well, may God help us to be people who don't just uh, hear these words and let them roll off like water off a duck's back, but to be uh, taking the challenge seriously and to be humble towards God and to all kinds of people. Well, let's pray. Our Lord God, as we think about this passage and how the Pharisees were keen on obeying the letter of the law, but not the spirit. We ask that you'd help us also to be authentic with you and not to be hypocrites. And we pray that you'd forgive us for the times when we have flirted with sin and outwardly look like we've tried to be your people, but inwardly we haven't. And we confess those times to you now and we give you thanks that we have forgiveness through our Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that um, as we think about living as the people of your kingdom, as we follow Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, that we would follow his example of service. Please lay it on our hearts to be mindful about how we can follow Jesus as he came to serve, not to be served. And we ask you to help us to be mindful of uh, the kinds of people in the world that we might find it more challenging to meet up with. But we pray that you would help us to uh, reach out because you call us to love the people in the world. 
Lord, we pray that you would help us to continue always with our faith in Jesus, to persevere well as Christians and not move from the hope that's held out in the gospel. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be zealous for your glory and to do things not just out of self-centred motives in life, but to bring honour to you. And so, Lord, we pray that in different ways you might equip us and strengthen us in your mission uh, to reach out to folk who don't yet know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And we pray that you'd help us to be active in building bridges to all kinds of people in the world. Lord, we um, give you thanks that you're in control of all things and you can change hearts. But we pray that you'd help us to be faithful just to keep on uh, in our own way, faithfully and truthfully sharing the hope of salvation that we enjoy through Jesus our Lord. We thank you for this time now and for this passage and an opportunity to encourage one another this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>